where we match books with delicious food and drink. I'm Justine the Librarian and I'll be chatting with various bibliophiles about their favourite recommended reads and just what elixir they choose to pair for a wonderful reading experience. This episode, I'm joined by blogger and youth literature advocate Adele Walsh. Thank you so much for Zooming with me today, Adele. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Justine. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so I'm just going to let the audience know a bit about you. Uh, Adele began blogging as Persnickety Snark, focusing on championing youth literature and its intended teen audience. She's been Program Coordinator for the State Library of Victoria's Centre for Youth Literature, founding co-host of the literary podcast Unladylike, and co-host of the podcast What Would Danbury Do about the Bridgerton series by Julia Quinn. Adele is currently Senior Coordinator, Community Outreach and Engagement at La Trobe University. Welcome to Literary Elixirs. It's so cool to have you on today. Oh, I'm just I'm just excited to be talking to someone, Justine, and it's even better that it's you. <laughs> I, I write back at you, basically. Um, I've been really keen Not to... that I need an excuse to drink or read at the moment, but, you know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever needed an excuse for either of those two activities, but, you know. No. <laughs> Um, I've been really keen to chat with you about your podcasts, as well as the work you do advocating for young adult and teen literature, and I was sort of thinking, where on earth do we begin and how do we all fit it in? But how do you fit everything you do in? Because you do such a lot. <laughs> this is like the, the pot calling the kettle black. Um, <laughs> like the two busiest people I know. Uh, I don't have kids and I don't have a partner, which gives me a lot of time for me to do whatever the hell I want. So um, a lot of it's time management, though it feels a bit chaotic at times. Um, but yes, there's more things that I do as well. So it's, uh, I don't know how I do it. I just do because I want to. I think that's the key, isn't it? You do it because you want to. Um, I... Well, as soon as I have to do something, I'm the worst person, like the worst, like procrastinate, moan. And this is when not having a partner is also good because they don't have to hear any of this. So, it, yeah, I, I look, do what you want to do and it helps motivate you. When you got into blogging, you know, what was the driving, you know, force behind that? And where did you come up with the Snickety Snark? I love that name. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I created that in the Christmas um, period of 2008. So that's some time ago. I was a teacher at the time and my school was a small independent um, school. So they didn't have a library. And as someone who loves reading and was teaching uh, a four, five, six class, I, how are you supposed to enthuse kids with reading if there's nothing to read? It's kind of <laughs> the one thing you do need. So... I had been just starting to read a few blogs here and there online. I don't think Goodreads existed yet, so I think it was just blogs. And blogging was somewhat new as well. Um, so I needed books, saw a lot of US book bloggers and went, well, why don't I do that as a means to get books for my class and my school? Uh, because you get sent advanced reading copies, so they're effectively free books. You have to review them. So I spent four weeks of my Christmas school holidays doing my work prep as well, but uh, reviewing every YA book that I had in my possession 
and then I guessed all the na- all the emails of all the publicists for the major publishing companies. And I also then tailored emails, um, outlining what I was trying to do, the good it would be doing, that I'd be reviewing. And here's like three or four books of yours that I've already reviewed and linked to what I'd already put up. And then within a week, I was getting sent crap tons of books. So um, I think I was, along with um, Steph Bowe, the, the first two Australian YA book bloggers, um, I love so, it. You're so cheeky. Yeah, strategic as fuck as well. But sorry, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> of course. <laughs> We're talking about wine, but yeah, whatever we want. I like, like looking back on it, I hadn't identified it as strategic, but like incredibly strategic. I pulled on the heartstrings. I showed them the quality of what they'd be getting for it. And the best thing is all the books would get delivered to the school. So, um, and the rece- school receptionist would get the box and she would walk down the hallway and she would deliver it to the class. Oh, how gorgeous. And it was just such a beautiful sort of celebration. And, and they started reading a lot. It was great. Um, of course, I felt so grateful I was reading and reviewing a book a day at some point. <laughs> so um, for the first, only time in my life, I couldn't read for a whole month. My brain would not let me read more than maybe half a page before it just shut down. I honestly think <laughs> I, I overdosed on reading. <laughs> I love, what a great <laughs> way to overdose though. That's so, that's such, such a cool thing. Um, so you don't, yeah. you're not still doing the book blogging now though, are you? No, um, when I started the job at um, Centre Youth Literature, they, my, my manager at the time had asked that maybe it wasn't a good idea to continue that. It might be a conflict of interest working with all the publishers and whatnot. Um, I understand that point of view and I, I did that. Um, retrospectively, no, probably a good idea. I could have I could have morphed it a little bit. Um, but I think we're at 1.3 million reads at this point. Like it's still going pretty well con- considering the content hasn't been updated in a long time. But I did hear from a lot of librarians that they were using it to make purchases and um, recommendations and it was a really good resource so I'm really proud of that piece of work it was a long time ago (laughs) and yet not at all it gave me a whole different career change I started working in libraries at the state library um, because of some of that uh, but also because of uh, 10 years working in schools Um, but the name you did ask about (laughs) I love it so I'm super (laughs) persnickety snap so I'm quite um, geeky and I'm also quite known and my blog was known for being quite honest. Like I, I'm, I'm super opinionated. Anyone who's met me is like, oh God, opinions more. Um, so um, snarky was kind of correct, although I don't think I was ever mean. I was pretty forthright. Um, persnickety, I just love the sound of it. <laughs> Even though I don't think I'm persnickety, a lot of people said it wasn't a word, and it is a word. It absolutely um, is. But together, it sounded like the snickety snark sounded like the sound Wolverine's claws made when it ripped to <laughs> Really? So, wow. You know, like I'm gonna have to go back so, and have a listen to that. Oh, it's snickety snick, like snickety snark, like. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of comic book stuff as well. So, um, and then I guess I chose my 
Twitter handle, I can't remember if my Twitter handle came first or second, but that's Snarky Wench. So, um, Snark is clearly my brand, although I don't actually recognize it as such. I think it's just a word that I like. It's actually got become a word that's been quite pillared, I guess. It has, and yet I love a good bit of snark. Like a bit of snarkiness, it's not, I don't think it's actually that bad. It's, it's, it can be quite fun and, you know, you don't need a lot of snark to give something bite. It's, it's almost like a bitiness, a tanginess to me, a bit of snark. Yeah, well, I guess it's supposed to be a snide remark, isn't it, snark? I guess. I guess I would like it to be more of a sarcastic remark, so maybe a skark. <laughs> Not the same. Uh, it doesn't um, sound the same. <laughs> it doesn't really roll off the tongue. But no. um, that's how that happened. Um, and I, I was able to meet like an incredible amount of authors and, um, and a lot of friends that I still have. It, it, I really, <laughs> and you would notice, Justin, you've known me for a couple of years now. I am exactly who I am online, how I am in real life, including the typos. So... Um, yeah, like I don't misrepresent myself. I'm a hundred, probably one hundred and fifty percent me. Um, so it's just it's been fun. And when did you get stuck into the podcasting? So when did Unladylike was your first one? Was it was that that came about through the State Library or? I no? had my first podcast in twenty oh eight. Wow! Tell me more. Yeah, um, I ha- I had I've had a quite a few. It was called the Sarah Desson Diarist. Um, so before Pistiki Snark, or at the same time as Pistiki Snark. I had a, a blog of the same name and I would read a chapter of a Sarah Desk novel who's a YA writer. Um, for those who don't know, YA is um, young adult literature. And I would do a, like a personal essay in response. God, I had, like, I'm such a nerd. Um, <laughs> and so I had that. And then I also had uh, in, I remember, 2007, I had a a podcast with an American friend called Fringe Dwellers on the American sci-fi show Fringe. Um, And it would take a day of my life every week (laughs) because internet speeds were even worse back then. And um, it was really, really fun. We had quite a few listeners, actually. I think we had had a lot, um, but I just couldn't sustain it. And my co-host was not very helpful. So we packed it in after a year. But, yeah, so... Uh, Unladylike, I'd begun to think I should wanted to get back into podcasting, especially since I hadn't been on a blog for quite some time. And then I went to an Emerging Writers Festival event workshop on podcasting just to see if things changed since I had done it. Weirdly haven't. <laughs> like, people are still using Audacity. Why the hell not? Um, so I saw my work colleague Kelly Gardner there who's a published writer and kind of amazing person and um, we sort of merged our two ideas together I was going to do something on children's and YA and she was going to do something I thought just feminist writers we just decided to do it on everyone and try to focus on people that probably don't get enough time and um, space in the media and at that point a lot of women, if they were on writers' festival programs, there was someone who's super successful or it was a panel like writing as a mother or like feminism 101 and it wasn't very interesting. And we really wanted to look at people who were up and coming. We wanted people to talk to people that don't write like them 
like different formats and genres we wanted to showcase two people who really knew each other well and just talking with that sense of familiarity and growth so it was um yeah so we were on ice at the moment we had a hellish year <laughs> that we had this year so um we've got about 35 episodes and um if i were to recommend any of them we've got episode with Patricia Cornelius the playwright and um, Tony Jordan the um, text publishing writer who's won awards and is amazing on swearing oh that would be so good and it is so much fun I get hear a lot from people that listen to that on public transport and just giggle the whole time because they feel very naughty hearing so much swearing but um, what I love about that is really became a discussion about class and um, language and um sort of feminism and femininity and and like saying these what is can be considered quite ugly words but can be quite constructive and elegant yeah powerful so that's a really great one so that's my highest moment and i've just launched a new one yes what would danbury do i'm super excited to listen um tell us about it what would danbury do who is danbury and and why do we care uh so uh shonda rhymes is someone that i love watching even when it's not great (laughs) so if you've watched Grey's anatomy or um i've just gone completely blank (laughs) Grey's anatomy station 19 um the murder one that I never watched much, but you know. Um, uh, so she, as part of her Netflix deal that she signed like a year and a half ago, the, one of the first properties she bought was um, a historical romance series by Julia Quinn called The Bridgertons. And it's one of the most beloved historical romance series in the history of publishing. And she's bought the rights to it. It, they've already shot the first season and it's going to come out this year on Netflix. It's going to blow up. Like, it's such a great series. Um, and they're casting um, to have cultural representation, even though it's supposed to be, you know, Regency era. And I'm just terrifically excited. So I thought, what better than to talk to two of my mates and read the first read the series before the, the show came out and so we've made our way through the eight books um, I'm doing it with Kate Cuthbert who's the program director at uh, Writers Victoria and there's also a, a romance editor previously from Harlequin and um, Rudy Bremer who's a um, ABC producer radio producer so um, yeah it's just really really fun we've just finished recording the eighth episode on the eighth book and um we're talking to a podcast network and um we're trying to talk to netflix at the moment so it's like pretty amazing and like talking about books and drinking i think we're drinking most of them so it's just really fun we never expected much from it other than to have fun and it's just and i think what's really interesting is the books came out in the 2000s romance has shifted quite a lot in that time and there's a lot of problematic content in some of those books and we really we discuss the books with love but there is also some criticism and addressing of things that are quite problematic so 
always excited for people to watch the show and maybe it'll drive people to the podcast. Who knows? Who knows? But it's been fun. It's brilliant. <laughs> and Danbury. Uh, Danbury. What would Danbury do? So the Danbury in the title is the name of this crotchety old match matriarch, uh, Lady Danbury. And she's just like, she just sort of drops truth bombs everywhere. She's... She's quite kind, but it's hidden behind a lot of crotchety, arch, somewhat brutal (laughs) dialogue, but it's always entertaining. So we were sort of like entertaining and honest. That's our podcast, just like Danbury. Just like you. We don't hit hit anyone with our canes. Ah, but if you had a cane, wouldn't you? (laughs) No, maybe not. Well, that I'm really excited to listen. Uh, and I haven't yet read the Bridgerton series, but I am getting to it. It's it's high up on my list and I'm bumping it up even higher, I reckon, um, just so I can then listen to your podcast and understand what you're talking about. <laughs> but yes, very exciting. Um, but so I asked you today to think about a couple of your current favorites or all-time favorite books and what you would pair to eat or drink with those books. So let's have your first pick. What's the first book that you'd like to pair for us today? Okay, I've chosen my most favorite youth literature book in the history of publishing. It's called On the Jellica Road by Melina Marquetta. And it won the Prince Award medal, sorry, in 2010. And for those who don't know, that's like winning the Nobel Peace Prize of YA literature, <laughs> except there's no cash, I don't think. But uh, she won the most prestigious uh, why award for this book um it is look i'm a i'm a melina marquetta stan if you've grown up in australia you would be familiar with uh looking for alabrandi saving francesca piper's son um so or you might have just watched the movie i think we all did that at school at some point but um <laughs> but this book she just went to a whole new level. This is before she wrote some of the, the fantasy books and the more adult books and even the crime. But it's three different timelines woven beautifully together. It's confusing as heck for the first 100 pages because you don't know what's going on. <laughs> but it starts knitting together almost like a spider's web and you realise that there's a present day with this amazing character called Taylor Markham who was abandoned by her mother and has been living in this boarding school called Jellico School for the last countless years of her childhood with her caregiver, Hannah, and then Hannah disappears. And she doesn't know where she's been, so she starts reading Hannah's manuscript and it starts telling about a, a group of kids 20 years ago. And then you also get flashbacks to Taylor's life four years prior. So there's all these things going on and there's so many characters. It is both effortless and deliberate. And her ability, her characterization is so great. I don't really cry with books very much. The end of this book will make me cry every single time. (laughs) Um, Because even though I know what's coming... It's just almost like a relief and also just really, it's just so beautiful and moving. It's also one of those books because of how complicated and beautiful the structure is that you can reread and discover new things every time you read it. And I think that's kind of magical, a book that can live through a different gaze every time. But, I mean, it, it works because of the characters. There's this sort of 
thing every year that the kids from the boarding school called the boardies, the boarders, uh, the kids from the town, the townies, and the cadets, which are all the boys' military training happening in the bush, all get together and they have territory wars once a year. And there's like a lead, or like there's a commander of each group. Um, and in this year, it's Taylor. And she didn't want it and no one wanted her to have it, but she's kind of ended up in charge. And she has to sort of battle for territory against the head of the townies who sent Angelo, who's the cop's son. And the most dreamy hero in YA, Jonah Griggs. He's a bit, bit from the Darcy sort of school. Of he's quite, he doesn't talk very much. He's quite gruff. But boy, that boy has a heart of gold. And it's very hot. It's not a romance book at all, but it's just like angsty and hot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they're all fighting for territory. That Like something happened between Jonah and um, Taylor four years prior when they were 14. She wanted to effectively run away and he was helping her and then he bailed halfway there to Sydney. So she hates him because he also dobbed on her. So um, then she got caught. So she hates him. So it's very like, it's angsty and like filled with lots of history. But I think honestly, it's a lot about family and time. And just, there's a lot in there. I, I, I would really hope people would read it. I don't know if I've described it really all that well, but I know that reading is subjective, like movies and music. What you like is what you like for different reasons. I don't hate it if people don't like a book that I've recommended. It's like, cool. This book, I'm a bit heartbroken when people don't like it. And it is very divisive. Some people find it too much, like too hard. And some people just adore it and I'm definitely in camp too. Interesting so Melina Marquetta is one of those writers that I don't read because I was forced to watch the movie growing up or read the book and I was like I just don't want to do that like you know when I remember Strictly Ballroom I had to watch that for a class at high school and you just it destroyed the movie for me and I think Melina Marquetta certainly looking for Ella Brandy was one of those books that we was we had to read and to study and when you study a book I feel like you, you just it's hard to get over that and so for me the I just, trauma the trauma exactly <laughs> and I just like bundled them all together and it's like not nah, never again but you have sold that one pretty well to me I'm definitely going to look into it it's not at all what I well, thought it like, would be like I, I love her so I mean a bit of history um looking for Ella Brandy came out when she was 24 like it was her debut Australian novel and she changed the landscape of Australian YA because until then it was very country almost British-influenced YA. She kind of established Australian YA as it could be metro-based, it could be multicultural, it could reflect different cultural backgrounds. In the case of her, it's her, she's Italian. Um, And it could be something we hadn't seen before. And she's inspired so many Australian writers and, and writers from across the world what on earth can you possibly pair with with something you love so much? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, if it was a food, it would be boxed mac and cheese because it's simple and it just it just makes me happy. And I don't want to have to think too much if I'm eating whilst reading this book because my brain brain is going everywhere. I just I just want that comfort food. But 
but I think um, I had a wine recently. I went on a wine tour and we went to a place called Steel's Gates and I don't like rosé typically, but their rosé was so lovely and it felt quite refreshing and very summer and the book is very summer. I mean, none of the characters would be legally able to drink, but I can drink for them. And I just think the thing about that rosé was it was really surprising to me. It was not what I normally expect of a rosé and I liked it. So I think Jellico is a constant surprise and it always keeps you on your toes. Love that so much. That's beautiful. Uh, well, I thought it wouldn't be fair to make you do all the work. So I chose one of my all-time favorite comfort reads as well. Um, I guess we're all thinking a bit comfort reading at the moment, aren't we? And it's often shelved with young adult books because the main character is 17. However, it's equally often in with the adult fiction because it is considered a classic. And it was published well before the whole concept of teen or young adult fiction became a thing. Um, it's I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. Most people will know Dodie Smith from 101 Dalmatians, um, but I actually first found her through I Capture the Castle. Um, and there is a movie that was made of it, which isn't terrible. It's not brilliant, but it's not terrible either, if you wanted to go down. Romola Garai yeah. and, um, and Superman, Henry Cavill. Yes. <laughs> Henry Cavill is so attractive in <laughs> the movie. It's like, why would you not choose him? Well, He is the embodiment of handsomeness <laughs> all right let's talk about the book and then we can talk about the movie um I, you're not wrong though uh, okay so <laughs> through six turbulent months of 1934 17 year old cassandra mortmain keeps a journal filling three notebooks with sharply funny yet poignant entries about her home a ruined suffolk castle because of course and her eccentric and penniless family um, her father was once a famous writer, but now he mainly reads detective novels while his family slide into genteel poverty. Her sister Rose is bored and beautiful and desperate to marry rich. Her step their stepmother Topaz has a habit of striding through the countryside wearing only her Wellington boots. I love that so much. Um, and all their lives are soon to be transformed by the arrival of rich new neighbours from America and Cassandra finds herself falling in love. It is a beautiful, gentle read with a great opening line. Cassandra's voice is really just a wonderful voice. It's a book which feels quite nostalgic with a longing for a happier past, yet it is also really, really hopeful for the future. And I think it's just a beautiful time to be reading something like that now, which is, is gentle, it is thoughtful, it is kind, um, and who doesn't like reading about first love as well? I would probably want something wholesome and calming. So I was thinking chamomile tea would be really nice to just gently sip away and you'd probably forget about it and it'd get cold and it wouldn't matter because it's chamomile tea and it doesn't matter if that gets cold. <laughs> um, or a delicious chicken soup. I recently had homemade sausage rolls. And to be honest, I kind of feel like homemade sausage rolls would go really well too. Like that really comfort lathered in sauce and just like yum i kind of i kind of feel like that would work as well anything that's comfort like, like food rock, yeah like a picnic like rustic picnic british sort of exactly thing, yeah. yes that rusticness and that britishness for sure so yeah anyway definitely what would your second choice be let's hear it well this was inspired by you justine um you were reading you just finished reading a book and it worked really beautifully with um what i'm doing with the bridgerton's podcast um so julia quinn who i mentioned previously in the bridgerton series uh she wrote a sort of 
adjacent series called the Mike Smith Quartet. And it's about <laughs> a group of four relatives, girls who have not yet married, who are forced to do a musical, musical, I should say, a performance once a year. And they are terrible, terrible musicians. One, because they don't practice. <laughs> they're just, they don't, they're not into it at all, but their parents, it's part of this family tradition that they all learn the violin or the cello or piano and they become part of this quartet before they marry. Because it, I guess it shows off their, their um, cultural qualities, I guess. <laughs> um, it, except they're terrible. They're so bad that only the people that attend are people that are kind and will suffer through. <laughs> or who don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's always great when there's someone who doesn't know. I love it. And they sit up the front. It's the best. So it was. it's in the background of the series that we're doing for the podcast, um, but it was always one of the things that I loved the most, that all these people, these characters, who were just quite kind, knew what they were getting into or didn't. And, and these, like, girls on stage, there's always one who's suffering through it. Some of them just don't know how bad it is, but one of them is, like, clearly just in agony. Um, so I read The Sum of All Kisses, which is the third book in the Smythe Smith series. Um, and it's about Sarah Plainsworth. Plainsworth. Um, and, it, again, it's a hate-to-love scenario. Um, so a few years prior to the events of the book, um, the hero, Hugh Prentice, who is a mathematical prodigy, and I think he has photographic memory probably as well. He has a lot going on. Um, gets really drunk with his bros and um, thinks what it, and he, one of his mates beats him playing cards, which is impossible. Impossible, apparently. And so they end up having this drunken duel. <laughs> duel is surprisingly hard to say. <laughs> I haven't been drinking. And um, in the event of this drunken duel, uh, Daniel, his mate, it's <laughs> just so ridiculous. They're so drunk that Hugh accidentally shoots Daniel. He was intending to miss, but still gets him. I don't even know how that happens, but they are very drunk. And Daniel kind of, I guess, shoots back in surprise and shoots um, Hugh in the leg, which does major damage. Um, as a result, he is, he is an injury that has disabled him for the rest of his life. Also chronic pain. Um, and his father is so furious that his perfect spare son has been maimed that Daniel is forced to flee because um, Hugh's father will kill him. So Daniel is a smith, is a smith smith. So he's the cousin of the heroine. And as a result of Daniel, <laughs> this whole big drama uh, happening, um, the smith smiths, um, can't really be out in society. So uh, <laughs> the heroine, Sarah, is robbed of her debut, her proper year, season, so she could find a husband. And this first year where that was supposed to be her year, there were 11 matches. And she's still not married a few years after this. And she personally blames Hugh. So she hates him and is quite rude to him. And then so he hates her. So it starts the book with them hating one another quite vehemently. But he has uh, brought 
Daniel back and got his dad off his back, um, which happens in book one of the series. And it's the repartee is so heated, occasionally nasty, but they get to know each other through all this dialogue. And, I, and Julie Quinn's brilliant at it. I love it. And then what would you pair? What would you pair with this beautiful book? So <laughs> I didn't mean to do this, but I bought a gin last weekend. I haven't really tested it out properly. I bought it because it's called Apothecary Rose, which made me think of Rose the Apothecary from Schitt's Creek. And I just think it's a gin tea drink, uh, like book. I think, you know, a little bit of lime, some gin tea. And then, like, by the time you've finished the book, you've probably drunk a lot. Um, <laughs> but you just want something a little bit... I think that line particularly would give you a bit of that sauce of the um, repartee. So Refreshing, hearty. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I can see that. Yeah. A bit effervescent. Yeah, just a bit, yes. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. These are fabulous pairings. And uh, now I want to go back and read, read that book and have a G&T. But <laughs> I will wait until night time. Um, that's it from me. Did you want to share anything else that you're up to? Um, look, I know a lot of people don't like reading romance or historical romance because they, you know, bodice rippers. And it, like that's that was a long time ago. Like they're not really like that anymore. So if you're like genuinely want to have a go at reading a historical romance, like totally reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Snarky Wench. Or if you want some really great recommendations, I'd go to um, Jody, um, <laughs> who I believe has been on this podcast already. And she's been um, publishing different books you can read if you want to get started with romance. So what now? This this like what better time to go outside your comfort zone but I will say historical romance is so much fun and is a very comforting read so it, it always ends well as an <laughs> end date we need that right now we do don't we well, thank you so much for being part of this episode today, Adele. It's been such fun. And for everyone out there, do yourself a favor and check out Adele's podcasts, Unladylike and What Would Danbury Do? You can find them on your favorite podcasting apps right next to Literary Elixirs, of course. That's all from me, folks. Remember to follow Adele's podcasts on Instagram at It's Unladylike and at Bridgerton Pod. And do let me know if you have any suggestions for who I should speak with next for some delicious book pairings. You can find Literary Elixirs on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Literary Elixirs and on your favourite podcasting app at Literary Elixirs. Enjoy all elixirs responsibly. And remember, books go with pretty much anything.